Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This episode is proudly presented by Dell Technologies. They are a team of experts that helps you solving all your IT-related challenges and IT needs in your daily business and consult you in choosing the right end-to-end -end IT solutions or products. They offer IT technology solutions for companies of any size, tailored to their needs and have a huge product portfolio with IT solutions and know-how. They can help CTOs through providing end-to-end -end IT solutions, be it laptops, PCs, workstations, or server storage, cloud and IoT solutions or financing. If you want to know more, please check the show notes to get a link. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today with me is Snir Yaram. And Snir Yaram is the, um, I think, not founder, but CTO of Codility. And uh, Codility is actually a platform you can use in, in, in hiring and also in other situations. He will tell us about that um, uh, for, uh, when you're hiring engineers. Uh, you can basically test their coding skills and so on. I... Um, like use the tool a lot. I, I like it actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite happy to have him here. Um, and we also like share a few other details. So um, we both worked at Zalando, for example. Uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to, to, to have you here, uh, Snir. So uh, welcome. Great to be here, to be us. Really exciting. So you're maybe like a bit of an untypical company from my perspective be because you're founded in Europe, right? Yes, correct. The company was founded 10 plus years ago in, in Warsaw, Poland. Yes. So, um, I mean, untypical in, in that sense that you're like still heavily founded, uh, funded and um, like on a very good track to, to become a unicorn from my, from my perspective. Is that true? Yes, I agree. Um, by the way, so it started in Poland, but then grew internationally on bootstrap money, right? So for the first nine years, the company has grown and now has or, or had offices uh, in San Francisco, in London, um, in this year, we opened uh, an office in Berlin as well, so we're expanding internationally. And but you you're sitting in Berlin, right? Yes, correct. I I was the one who opened the offices here in Berlin. Yes, we saw a lot of potential in Berlin, in Germany specifically, both commercially but also in terms of you know talent. Um, and we saw value in opening offices here. Yes, so the the office was open in August this year. And now you're in the war of talent in Berlin. Correct. But we've got some we've got some advantages. Yeah, you can do coding tests, right? <laughs> we can do coding tests, and and yeah, I, I feel that we have um, a lot of experience in terms of hiring pipelines, efficiency in hiring. Um, we've got a lot of use cases that we're using to learn how to improve the processes. So yes, I, I feel we have very efficient hiring processes. And that's actually what we want to talk about today. It's data driven hiring, um, and I, I actually love that topic. Um, but before we start uh, talking about that, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more about your, your personal 
nerd journey and nerd path. Uh, can you can you tell us a bit more how you got into computing and so on? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a house where my father has never, you know, always fixed things himself. Even a laundry machine, he used to, you know, open the screws, open the engine. Everything was done by himself. And seeing that, I got used to, you know, trying to fix and trying to um, use technology for for uh, for our benefit. And so it was very common to have a computer and then change the disk or 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 you know add RAM, etc. Change the CPU, etc. And so I started pretty early with technology and with computers. Um, I started, you know, playing the Commodore sixty four. It was cassette time. Uh, that was yeah, twenty plus years ago, uh, playing games, etc. And I got my first C programming book when I was ten. Uh, so no, you know, other material other than this book in Hebrew about programming in C, and that's how I started my career at the age of ten. And you were living in Israel back then, and then kind of moved around the world a lot. You told me. Yes, I loved uh, the family. Loved traveling, so we got to see the world from a pretty young age. But yes, we lived in Israel at the time. Um, but traveling and, and seeing and meeting different people and different cultures was always something that intrigued me. Okay, and, and and where did you actually live? I mean, did you move straight away from from Israel to to Berlin or? No. So, um, except for traveling, I mean, living for work, living as a family, we lived in Thailand for four years. Uh, before arriving to Germany. So we arrived in Germany um, in the middle of 2019. And from 2016 until the middle of 2019, we lived in Thailand. Okay. Um, like I know Israel a bit, so I traveled there like many times and, and actually loved the startup culture there. And and it's really something you have to you have to see yourself so you have to go there once and 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 and, and feel it um also uh, there are like a lot of very good it people living there um like primarily because it's 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 something you pretty much foster and push um like also through through the military right um i i can imagine that like it's culturally quite difficult right or quite different if you come from from Israel and from that like pushy startup culture and then go to Thailand and then to Germany like how do those three compare yeah you're very right it's very very different um you put the cultures you can you can use um one one way that I'm familiar with that I find useful to compare between cultures is to put the cultures on a two grid uh, or two dimensional grid On a horizontal line, you've got non-confrontational and to confrontational. On the vertical line, you've got emotional and non-emotional cultures. And so Israelis, for example, are very at, at a very you know high endpoint of very emotional and very confrontational. Germans in, in general are very confrontational but are non-emotional. Thai people are non-confrontational but very emotional. Right, Japanese, for example, are non-confrontational and non-emotional, and and that greed and and placing again, we're, we're generalizing cultures here, but but placing them on this greed really helped me, kind of very intuitively, finding ways or or making sure that I address um, challenges, cultural challenges, in a more proactive way. So in Thailand, then in a very polite way, I can imagine. <laughs> Polite and very reactive as well, right? People don't speak up. You have to encourage them to speak up. You ask, you ask a question and then people nod 
Um, if you want to know what they really think, then you have to ask uh, very direct and very specific questions and encourage very high level of safety and trust in the room to make sure that people speak up. Um, in Israel and in, in Germany, people will tell you exactly what they think, whether you want to know or not. Yeah, like at least most of the people. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Yes. Or they just, uh, just, just don't tell you anything. <laughs> True. Okay. I, I think um, I think another another aspect in, in understanding cultures is is understanding probably history, and and I think that's something that characterizes you know the Israeli the Jewish culture is kind of that survival mode, being able to improvise, being able to move in an ambiguous, uncertain you know environment, um, and I think that's one of the things that characterizes Israeli tech as well. Um, being able to move very fast, being able to be very agile. Um, I think that the right balance lies between the cultures, right? So being able to move fast is one thing, but being able to plan ahead, right? To slow down and think two, three years down the road and make sure that you have the, the goals to get there um, is, is the right balance, is the right combination. Yeah, um, like we, as Germans, like we sometimes like to really overthink stuff, right? Yeah, and at the same time, the Israelis don't think too much ahead. And so, yeah, I think, again, the balance is somewhere in the middle. Somewhere between. Um, yes. Yeah, and then um, you, you joined Zalando in Berlin and um, left again and joined Codility as CTO, right? Um, like Correct. How, how, how was the hiring process? Did you, did you do a Codility test yourself or...? <laughs> I did a codility test, but not as part of the hiring process. I did codility test as a hiring manager. Um, we wanted to make sure that the questions that we're asking candidates are questions that we can um, solve ourselves um, as hiring managers. So this is why we did the codility tests. Um, the codility hiring process was super unique um, in the fact that I was given a very big assignment um, that I had to prepare and then present to the executive team and to the board of directors of Codility. So I not only got exposed to some uh, company material before I even started, but also got to know the, the executive team and the board of directors as part of the hiring process. And that was super efficient, kind of helped me to ramp up and onboard very, very quickly and also get familiar with the challenges as well as with the strengths uh, of the company that I was joining. Yeah, I guess uh, like on that level, it it is an important thing to do, right? Uh, to have like a a very strong uh, understanding of 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 the 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 also visionary capabilities of of the the future CTO in such a technical product, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's what I had to present a two three year horizon uh, in terms of organization, in terms of technology, in terms of processes. Yes. Okay, but uh, we we want to talk about data driven hiring. I mean, your tool is is a tool you can use for data driven hiring. Like I remember, we used it heavily at Zalando. Um, it always said, "Yeah, okay, you have to score at least X Y Z, um, and 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 uh, then you're potentially in, and then you you uh, climb the next step in the hiring process." Um, if you just like um, step a little step or go a little step back. Um, from your perspective, what are the, the three most important things in tech recruiting these days? Yeah, so I think you started, you know, that's the first part of your question. I think being data-driven in a market that is dominated by candidates and you need to react fast as a, as a hiring company, being very, very data-driven, I think it's the key uh, element there for success. 
And, and I, I want to explain a little bit what data-driven means, right? It's not just, um, you know, seeing the distribution of a score or a specific, of a specific coding question. It, it's much more. Being able to see um, your hiring funnel, starting from the number of applications that you get, right? And then as you, as you move between the steps, how many people um, have been converted to the next steps? And how many people actually stayed in each and every phase? How many people you have in each and every phase? Looking at the sourcing elements, when you have a, a high volume of candidates, what is the, and then comparing the, the conversion rate. So when you have high volumes, you usually pay in terms of, you pay in quality, right? And being able to look at the sources of the candidates that you get and understanding per source, what has been the conversion for people who are coming from that source? So you go, for example, to LinkedIn, which is a very mass kind of source, um, mass candidate source. Um, and you get all these people applying to, um, to roles in your company. Usually you get a lot of noise, right? Being able to understand and seeing how that high volume affects your conversion allows you to make decisions on which sources you want to use. You go very specific. You go with this... Um, headhunting yourself or, or using agencies to headhunt, the volumes are larger, as the volumes are smaller, but the quality um, is significantly higher and you will see that in the conversion. Um, being able to um, look at the number of candidates who move between the screening phase, who move between the different interview phases will allow you to understand if the questions that you're asking um, or, or the interviewers that you're using are the right ones in terms of um, pipeline efficiency, etc. Looking at the overall conversion from the number of applications to hired allows you to, over time, understand if your process is efficient enough. Looking at the number of interviews your interviewers are having per week allows you to have a good understanding of the operational, the logistical element of running so many interviews in, in, in mass volumes. Having all this data in front of you allows you to make good decisions and allow you to steer and pivot in real time um, and react fast to, to a very dynamic market. Okay. Um, one, one thing that we didn't really touch is, is uh, the time to conversion, right? Um, like one thing I learned back then when we had our first uh, like internal recruiter uh, who was doing active sourcing back then, was the time to hire like and how critical it is um and the understanding like that you first have to build the understanding inside your organization uh how important hiring is i mean techies like if you have if you're interviewing engineers right um then you typically interview with that with them with engineers and those engineers have to understand how important it is that they talk to those guys right um yes absolutely um and it works for both ways Right. As much as we are as hiring, you know, managers are interviewing candidates, they are interviewing us at the same time, being able to expose to them the culture, the people that they will be working with uh, works very well for us because we believe in our culture. We believe in our people. Um, and, and, and that conversion that you're talking, again, is, is working both ways. It's conversion for us as hiring. It's conversion for them because um, candidates today, on the average, um, good candidates at least. Um, take 10 days to get a new job if, if they're looking for it. So um, mm -hmm. so would you recommend something like a like a trial day, for example, uh, where they can also meet um, and, and get, get used to the culture? 
Yes, and we do that. Um, one part, one element in our hiring process is to meet the team. Um, and so the candidate get a good understanding of the team that he will be collaborating with and working with closely. The team will get a chance to um, meet the candidates who will be working with them. And so we've seen we've seen how this phase can change um, the decisions pretty dramatically in both directions. So team may decide that that candidate is not a good cultural fit for the team. Candidate can decide that the level of the people is higher or lower than his expectations. And, and, and we want that collaboration, we want that calibration to happen before we make the hiring decision. Yeah, it's much better to experience that before, right? I mean, if you're hired, then in a way, like uh, it's done, right? <laughs> and you're there. <laughs> and ideally, it's you very don't want to go out in the next... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, good. And uh, what, do you, what do you think about, like, um, is there like a, a general funnel you can recommend uh, to, to, to people out there for, like, let's say, engineers and senior engineers? So which, which steps would you, would, you, would you typically have in that funnel? So yes, and I will answer your question uh, directly in a second. I do see a lot of value in creating a very structured uh, hiring process uh, before the hiring starts. And so making sure that all the interviewers um, will know exactly what they're interviewing for um, and then split the domain, split the different uh, topics between the interviewers. That will allow you to make sure that you get the maximum data points in, in, the, in the shortest period of time. That will allow you to make the best hiring decision because um, otherwise you may get a lot of overlap and you may not get all the data points that you want. Um, yeah, our hiring processes are usually consisting of the following steps. Um, a screening phase with a recruiter, uh, talent acquisition. Then a screening interview with a hiring manager, a more general one. Then a technical um, assessment, a send home test as the first phase. That allows us to filter out very large volumes at the top of the funnel. Is, is that and, then the codility yeah. test or? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> then depending on the role, the more senior roles we do, um, a technical system design, we've got a tool called CodeLive, uh, which is an integrated IDE within a, a video conferencing tool. And that tool is being used for pair programming um, and also whiteboarding. So a system design is a classic, you know, mid-level, senior level um, type of question, type of interviews that we are conducting. And then afterwards, um, cultural fit interview. And for leadership, we do have management and leadership um, type of interviews as well. And then something like a hiring committee and then things and like then, that. Yes, right? obviously a hiring committee that includes people not only from the you know direct hiring team, but also people who are more objective, uh, making sure that bias is reduced, et cetera. Okay. And would you recommend to use an, an applicant tracking system like an ATS, or do you do you think that like a typical Kanban board is also enough? Yeah, I think it depends on the volumes. I think it's going to be very hard to manage a large volume of candidates on, on you know multiple active pipelines without an ATS. Um, but if the numbers are low, if the if the um, um, number of positions you're hiring for is small, I think you can manage it without. An ATS. Okay. Okay. I guess that every of my listener CTOs out there knows this challenge 
Traditional content management systems, where front-end and back-end are tightly coupled, make it difficult to reuse content in different digital channels. The next generation of headless CMS is much more flexible for developers, but comes with strong constraints for editors. The goal of Storyblock is building the world's first headless CMS that works for both developers and business users. Storyblock offers a combination of visual editing tools and highly customizable content blocks. This is built on modern headless architecture that gives developers the flexibility to build fast and reliable digital platforms. The big benefit of headless CMSs is that content can be streamed to any platform via API without having to manage the content multiple times. For example, customers use Storyblock for their websites, online stores, apps, or send the same content to Twitter, WeChat, or to Alexa skills. Storyblock is now used by over 50,000 developers, product owners, and managers in over 80,000 projects in 130 countries. Customers include Adidas, Marley Spoon, Deliveroo, and many, many more. If you want to know more, please visit storyblock.com OMR. That's storyblock.com slash OMR. And um, in an ATS, you typically also get like templates, like in, like in your tool, right? You have a lot of templates um, for, for coding tests. If I want to go, go for a Go test, for example, you have examples. And, and, and I mean, asking the right questions is also hard. Um, the, do the ATS systems out there typically provide that, like that content? So less, it's more about the funnel management rather than the actual content for the interviews that ATS are managing. And so this is where Codility and, and tools like Codility can step in, creating not only um, the right set of interviews, but also within each and every interview, making sure that the interviewers are conducting structured interviews and making sure that all the different aspects are indeed covered. Again, these are the data points. These are the signals that you want to make sure you collect. Um, otherwise, you need another interview. Otherwise, the process just uh, you know uh, takes longer than expected, takes longer than you want it to. Yeah, and hiring an engineer is a, is a bit like buying a house in Hamburg. Um, like <laughs> it's, it's like... It's a very rare thing, right? Um, and and uh, people selling the house know know that it's rare, um, and and they, that they're going going to sell it quickly. And um, like over here, when you when you look at a house, you you have to tell people like in the first place, you have to tell everyone, yeah, I'm buying it, I'm buying it, I'm buying it, <laughs> I'm getting it. <laughs> Let's go to the notary. Yeah. And in a way, it, it turned out to be similar for for hiring engineers, right? You immediately have to be very sure. And have to feel, make people feel safe um, that that you're you're really interested in them. Absolutely, and I, I think the fact that you know the world moved to remote um, uh, March April last year in, in mass volumes um, created a lot of opportunities for hiring companies, but also created a lot of competition for hiring companies um, because your own turf is no longer your turf, right? So so the availability, the supply increased, but also um, the competition increased very significantly, and now you, you're competing against um, companies who naturally, historically, were not part of your own territory. Yeah, I, I once spoke to the to the CTO of GitLab in this podcast as well, uh, Eric Johnson, and um, he was um, he was actually calling this like the global leveling out, um, and he said that it, it's a chance because they are fully remote. It's a chance to to, to join the party early. Um, and then, um, yeah, uh, be, 
be like one of the party who's who's uh, profiting uh, from that. Um, and um, I, I also believe in that. I mean, you see like salary raise, raises a lot um, in Germany and in Eastern Europe and so on um, due to, due to um, San Francisco-based companies hiring here, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 you know, the remote world has done greatly for Codility and for other companies as well. Um, and if we look, if we look at the trends, um, we think that these trends are very sustainable. Uh, we think in Codility that um, what's, what has been happening since March, April last year, COVID has triggered the next evolution step in terms of um, the, 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 the working place, um, we think that this trend will only get accelerated um, and we want to be there to capture, you know, the largest market share possible of that remote working place um, evolution. Good luck for that. But um, continue on the hiring track. Um, what is the best source or what are the best sources for engineers um, in terms of platforms you can, you can post jobs on or you maybe uh, treat rather as like a secret channel um, a hidden channel for, for talent? What, what are the best sources these days from your perspective? Yes, I, I guess it depends on the role, right? And what you're hiring for. Um, I think that the more um, senior roles, the more um, very specific and head hoc headhunting works best. Um, when you look for larger volumes, then yeah, using job boards, using LinkedIn uh, works better. You want the volumes and... Um, Obviously, the cost or the trade-off is quality. Um, and I think you're willing to um, you're willing to get less, uh, you're willing to pay in terms of your attention. When the volumes are larger, you don't want to take any risks on senior positions. And this is where uh, you want the quality to be higher at the expense of volumes. But um, like concrete platforms, um, I mean, LinkedIn, obviously, um, like some engineers are not on LinkedIn. Um, I heard that AngelList is kind of good. Um, it has has some candidates. Stack Overflow is it still like talk of town or not? What what about GitHub? Um, what do you think? Yeah, so we talked about data driven approach to hiring, and this is where it comes into play, right? Um, when we looked at Stack Overflow in terms of data, we saw that the conversion of candidates coming from there were relatively low compared with other sources that we used. Um, and so we saw, for example, that uh, campus events that we did uh, attracted the audience that was very right for us. And so this is where, again, looking at the data, looking at your sources and analyzing your conversion in terms of hiring pipeline based on each and every source allows you to understand what is the right source for your needs at any point in time. Okay, but a few more sources <laughs> that are converting good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think people that... typically don't talk too much about their sources, right? <laughs> yes. Um, LinkedIn is obviously, you know, the number one platform, both um, for if you want to be very proactive in terms of your hiring and also if you want to be reactive. Uh, that's a great place for people to come to you. It's a great place for you to approach other people. Um, so, but that's uh, trivial. I think that, yeah, um, Stack Overflow is a great source for talent. We've seen, again, very relatively high level of noise coming from Stack Overflow. Um, you've got job boards like Indeed um, that is picking up these days as well. Well, it's not new, but, but they're doing a great job in filtering out um, 
and, and providing good feedback to the candidates on how to write good CV and what to emphasize in their resumes. Um, and that has been working well for us as well. And um, like from, from sources to interviews, uh, I mean, Codility is ready and set. I mean, uh, that, that absolutely makes sense, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> But uh, what about what about other platforms, like apart from the ATS, um, to, for example, outsource interviews? So I, I've seen like a few platforms that uh, you can use to actually let Google people or let Facebook people or Meta people <laughs> interview, uh, interview your candidates uh, and pay for that. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, yeah, so uh, Carrot is one uh, famous company that, that does it. Um, and, and they're using, obviously, people to, to conduct these interviews, obviously professional interviewers. Um, I'm kind of doubting, you know, the scalability of it. I think the scalability is limited. Um, but imagine if we could do that uh, through machines, right? And AI, for example, so interviewing bots. Um, and not only for the interviews themselves, but also providing feedback to the interviewers, to the candidates on how to be better at asking questions or, or replying to questions. Uh, there's a lot of value, I think, in automating and using machine learning and AI in the hiring processes um, to make to make the efficiency higher. I guess in your tool, you also see like a lot of different candidates and a lot of different companies. Um, and, and you could also provide benchmarks um, Uh, and 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 pub publish them. Do you do this something like that? Yes. So as a, as a Codility customer, you do get um, insights into uh, first of all distribution of scores of questions that you are asking of tasks that you give your candidates, and this distribution is not coming only from your um, candidates, but but from the industry candidates. Obviously, anonymized and aggregated. Um, so you get these benchmarks. Um, and also comparing to other companies who are similar in size, who are coming from a similar industry, who are asking similar questions for uh, specific similar roles. Um, that allows you to understand how you compare versus the industry, both in terms of um, the difficulty and the distribution of scores of the question that you ask, and also in terms of time to hire. Um, from your perspective, I guess you also do a lot remote. Um... What is the best strategy for for salaries in, in a remote world? Would you would you rather pay local salaries? Um, let's say you hire someone in Poland, uh, would you pay him a local salary, or would you pay like the San Francisco salary? Um, what, what what would be your your strategy? So I think that one of the benefits what we see um, is that people want to be able not only to work from home, right? Remote is not only about working from home, it's about working from anywhere uh, on the planet, basically. And so we want to be able to allow our employees to work from anywhere. Now, can we really allow them to work from anywhere? Does, there are a lot of um, you know legal, tax, uh, financial questions involved with that. And so our approach has been to allow our employees to work in any of our hubs. And we've got, again, Berlin, Warsaw, London, and San Francisco. Um, and to be able to move between our hubs, we created a unified um, uh, salary um, across all the locations. And that will kind of take the financial issue from the question of where do I want to live as, as, a, as a Codility employee. But is that then like San Francisco, San Francisco comparable salary or... 
European. It's a European single, yeah, uh, one band salary. Okay, because like I see also your um, San Francisco-based companies entering the German market, and um, like in comparison, the the salaries are crazy, right? Um, Absolutely, and, uh, but also cost of living is way higher there, so um, it would not really make sense to do that, right? Yeah, so it's European uh, European based, the one salary band. Okay, okay. Um, anything that that we now like missed out, like um, like. We, we touched like all the different steps, salaries, hiring, uh, process quality, and so on. Anything where you would say this, this absolutely makes sense to add here? Yes, I do. I think that candidates are smarter these days and the availability of information, the availability of data about the companies that they um, are looking at uh, is very high. And The cultural element, being part of a culture, not only being part of a company as an employee, but being part of a certain culture is becoming an issue that more and more candidates are looking at. Um, and the question is, how do you expose, first of all, how do you build the right culture within your company? But then how do you expose your culture uh, so other people from the outside will know uh, how well or, or you know how unique your culture is as a company? Um, and so I think that that's an element that companies need to pay more attention to if they want to attract the right candidate. And again, the right candidate is very much looking for um, being part of the right culture these days. Okay, thank you. Um, I still want to want to uh, sneak a bit little under the hood of Codility, uh, like what 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 you do tech wise. Um, I guess it's or from my perspective, the biggest challenge is to actually have all those all those challenges, like those coding challenges written in different languages, evaluating it all, uh, potentially using a lot of Docker to, to um, execute. Uh, in a way, it's like a CI, CD pipeline, right? Uh, execute uh, all those all those uh, tests. Um, how does that look like? Yeah, and you're right. It is challenging, and it's challenging in terms of scalability, right? For, for To evaluate a specific solution, you want to make sure that the runtime for that specific language, for that specific framework. And it's just not the language, right? Think about Java and Spring. You need to make sure that the entire environment is there uh, to evaluate uh, the candidate's solution. Um, and there are so many programming languages and frameworks, the permutation is so high. So being able to spawn, like you said, dockerized um, environments that allow you to assess, to evaluate uh, solutions is or has, by definition, a scalability issue. And we're trying to solve it in, in multiple uh, various ways. So, you know, serverless technology allows us to spawn um, or to react to, to submissions, to solutions in a much more flexible way. So that's one one of our ways to, to handle the scale there. Um, so I guess you use something like Kubernetes um, to, to, to run all the, all the all those runners. Um, And and that is uh, I see like as as a given thing, but you just mentioned serverless. Like, how do you how do you are you able to also test candidates on on cloud technologies? Yes, and 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 again, we have to create the environment that allows us to allows them to write code that is relevant for cloud environment, allow us to to run um, and compile and uh, assess these solutions on similar environments. Because I see it like as a challenging thing to actually spin up something like a create a Google Cloud account automatically <laughs> and spin it down afterwards again. Is that something you do or? 
so no, we, we're emulating the the environment, um, and so we're not spawning yeah, a private cloud inside our cloud. Okay, that would be crazy. And you yes. then have to, I guess, write a lot of do a lot of QA um, on your on your on your challenges, right? And and uh, maybe write tests for the challenges itself. Like, how how does it look like? Yes, the evaluation process of a, of a, of a submitted solution um, is looking at a very uh, a varied set of test cases um, and different inputs and different expected outputs to evaluate the correctness of the solution. Right, so test cases are part of the are integral part of the evaluation uh, engine of of certain solution. So that's one part of it, right? The correctness of the code. But there is another layer, and this is where you know a, a higher level of complexity arrives. You want to be able to evaluate the runtime complexity and space complexity of certain solutions, right? And then how do you how do you assess these? That's a, that's another you know a higher or more complicated set of tools and machines that we're using to evaluate the runtime uh, complexity of solutions. Thank you. So, um, yeah, just wanted to have like a brief understanding of how it might look like. And yes, we are, we are a podcast here for, for, for geeks, uh, by geeks, I would say, or, or you can even use the term nerds. It's not, it's not that bad anymore. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. and we all love, love tools. Um, What is your recent discovery or most recent discovery that you that you also use a lot? Is there is there anything? Yeah, so I, I think there's a set of tools, and I want to talk about the ability um, of small startups. Right, I'm talking about companies in the size of 100 to 200 people. Um, the ability to use things like managed AWS services in in various types and kinds and purposes really allow company like ours to scale up and compete with larger companies um, because we find it very hard to get the headcount to to you know spawn our own machine and write all the code ourselves so what the, the answer to your question is yeah multiple tools um, as managed services from AWS really allow us to to compete with larger companies uh, without having the headcount to do so um, And in general, um, when you are a startup that is at a rapid growth phase, you care more about the top line, less about the bottom line at that point in time. And so spending money on the ability to scale is something that we philosophically believe in. And again, these managed set of tools allow us to, to grow very rapidly. Okay, and like personally, for personal productivity, anything? Um, yeah, I love GitLab. I love GitLab for various reasons. It allows us not only to um, have a set of tools around coding and sharing code and sharing knowledge, it's also a great tool for documentation, creating single source of truth, allowing us to foster our engineering you know, culture and principles. Um, and we are striving to put all the documentation on, on GitLab and create a handbook, a playbook for Codilities Engineering. Um, and, and we use that very extensively, and that's great. Okay, thanks a lot. Mm, like as a as a closing question, I still have a little surprise for you. So um, I recently myself did a Codility test. Um, it was a it was a test for for the language Go, which I'm I'm learning, and I just wanted to like um, assess uh, my level of skills. Um, and um, it seems uh, to be um, something that you build in there as an Easter egg 
like a small tool. Um, the The idea of the of the test was building a, a time machine function, which actually let, lets you physically travel in time when you when you build it. Um, and uh, we now have the chance to spin up my my uh, my uh, result there, my test result there again, um, and travel to the year two thousand uh, when you just started off as a software engineer, um, your first job essentially, I, I guess still in Israel. Um, and we can now observe your, yourself for a while. You're, you're coding heavily, day and night, um, and you now have the chance to whisper something into young Sneer's ears. What, what would it be? Yeah, excellent question. At the, uh, yeah, in these years, um, I'm talking about 20 years ago, right? Things were so waterfally. Look at it right now. Um, you wrote code, you used to hand it over to a QA department, you used to spend weeks on, on you know, testing your code, writing test cases, and only then moved on to a department that put it in production. The I, I would have whispered to myself, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a more agile, you know, end-to-end, cross-functional way of doing it. The waterfall way is, is so inefficient in terms of software delivery process. Um, yeah, I wish I knew then what I know now about agile processes about um, efficient software delivery life cycles. Um, question is, would it have changed anything if you knew it earlier, right? Um, because like companies are companies and the world is slow in a way. Uh, I mean, uh, like knowing that and cheating here and there maybe maybe helps, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, you know, the, the Agile Manifesto written by leading industry uh, software leaders at the time was something that changed the world, right? I don't think I could have done this alone, um, but I could have joined that movement, that revolution much earlier, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I would also uh, like see that uh, this would, would have made sense, yeah. <laughs> so yes. thanks a lot, Sneer. Um, it was great talking to you. Um, good insights in, into hiring. And and uh, I think it's very valuable to, to know that um, and and uh, very compact uh, knowledge that you that you. Uh, shared with us here. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Tobias, for having me. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.